Well, good morning. My name's Jason, one of the pastors here at Community Church, and I am really glad that you're here today. If this is your first time or your first time in a long time, I am especially glad you're here. Wherever you are on your, your spiritual journey, uh, you're in the right place this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you this morning, and Lord Jesus, as we just sang, in every season, you are the blessing. You are our reward. May that truth penetrate our hearts and our minds this morning, today. And Father, as we come into this place today, we bring a lot of complications. Whether it's relationships with parents and kids, or it's marriages, or it's work relationships, or it's conflicts among neighbors, or it's just a general angst towards the complications of our world. Father, we bring those to you today. We bring our monumental concerns, our mundane concerns to you this morning. We bring our local battles for your kingdom to advance in our homes and in our neighborhoods. We bring our global battle for your kingdom to advance as the day, that day when you will make all things right and you fulfill all your promises where you will return and you will rule. Prepare us, Father, for that day. Lord, as we sit under the authority of your word this morning, clear out space in our minds to receive the truth of your word, clear out space in our hearts for you to rule and guide us in the very depths of our being. And Father, I ask now that my words would be especially clear and helpful to your people this morning. May all that I say in these moments uh, bring you glory and honor and uh, burn off uh, what, has, what doesn't do that. Holy Spirit, be our teacher this morning. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, here's my question for you this morning as we continue our series, A Better Way to the Good Life. Here's my question for you today. Who is making your life more complicated? Resist the urge to turn to the left or the right. <laughs> but who or what is making your life more complicated right now? I want you to think of that word complicated. Maybe for some, it's a relationship. It's somebody in your home. It's a kid. Two out of three are great, but one's struggling. Maybe there's, you just don't see eye to eye as husband and wife. Maybe there's, there's somebody in your neighborhood that's causing you some grief. Maybe there's a job situation. Maybe you got to hire somebody and fire somebody, and it's just, just really hard and complicated. Maybe you look out in our world and you see polarization and just a wide gulf between people and you say this is complicated 
maybe you just got a health situation going on or somebody you love is just really struggling right now and these health complications are just that. They're complicated. And maybe you add it all up and you put it together and there's just complication upon complication upon complication. And that's where you are this morning. Anybody there this morning? And this is what the complications have done for you. They've sucked the life out of you. And you're drained, and you're depleted, and you're running on fumes, and you're feeling a little bit empty. Maybe that's your reality today, or that's the reality of somebody that you're with this morning, or somebody that you want to reach out to. That is their reality. Well, if that's where you are, I've got some good news for you. As we talked about last week, Jesus said this. He said, blessed are you when you're poor in spirit, or blessed are you, as we looked at the message paraphrase, blessed are you when you're at the end of your rope. Why? Why? Because there's less of you and there's more of God and his rule in your life. That is the countercultural message of Jesus. And friends, whatever your complication is today, there is hope in that message. So I believe if you have ears to hear this morning, God has a word of encouragement specifically for you, specifically in your particular area of complication. I hope as you walk into the, this place this morning, you come with the expectation that God will speak to you through his word and give you what you need today. Now, I want to dig into God's word. I want to bring us back into what are the Beatitudes. What are the Beatitudes? I want to take you to Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. And just a quick review, if you missed last week, Beatitude is simply the Latin word for blessed. That's all it means. It sounds all fancy, but it's just the Latin word for blessed. And, and what we've been working with is this idea that Jesus gives us a different way to the good life. A different way to experience the good life. A different, a countercultural way to live. So let me take you to those verses and let's dive in. I'm going to read 3 through 10, and we're going to focus on three in particular that I believe will be highlighted and read for you this morning. But I want you to, as you think about the, the Beatitudes, as you think about these statements about who is blessed, I want us to look at them together. Jesus says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to look at these three in the middle this morning. 
And we're going to look at them both individually and then how these three in particular fit together and equip us to step into whatever the complication that we're dealing with today may be. Let's begin with verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Now, I want you to picture Jesus. Jesus is teaching the crowds. This would be a a, a gathering of those who had grown up with a Jewish background. They would have been steeped in the scriptures. They would have been steeped in the prayer book of the culture, which would have been what we know as the book of Psalms. And as they heard these words, and perhaps as they even experienced their own physical hunger and thirst, perhaps they would have been reminded of the words of David in Psalm 63. Now, David was on the run. You talk about a complicated life. David lived in complication. His son Absalom had rebelled against him and was trying to overthrow and kill him. And this is what David said in Psalm 63, verse 1. He said, you, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name, I will lift up my hands. I will be satisfied. I will be satisfied as with the richest of foods, with singing lips, my mouth will praise you. As we picture this image of hunger and thirsting, what I want you to have in mind is a pursuit. To hunger and thirst for something is to pursue something. So let me just ask you this morning, what are you hungering and thirsting for? What is your desire, your passion, your longing? Jesus says, in the kingdom, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Righteousness is a very churchy word. It has to do with right relationships, right relationships with God. A lot of times we talk about a vertical relationship with God, right relationships with others on that horizontal plane. The great commandment, Jesus says, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Vertical, love your neighbor as yourself. Horizontal, not just the people you really like, but even people that you don't. We'll get into that here in a couple weeks. Jesus' standards are high. Jesus is, I mean, part of the critique against Jesus was, well, you hang out with all these prostitutes and drunkards and all this, and You don't have any standards, Jesus. No, 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 no. Jesus is actually going to raise the bar. And one of the truths of this particular beatitude, and I'll put it up there, first of all, is we are to pursue the high standards of Jesus. As you think about your complicated situation, I want you to pursue the high standards of Jesus. Now, where am I just high truth people here? You like truth. You like accountability. You don't mind leaning into it. I know some of you are there. You're high truth people. Well, you're cheering right now. Yes, finally, hear this. 
hear this truth. Yes. Now, this word righteousness, let's, let's, let's go a little deeper here. We're reminded, though, that our true righteousness is not something we can attain. It's something that comes from the outside. I'll just give you a quick, quick gloss on Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And Paul writes to the church at Corinth, 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Beautiful theology, beautiful truths that we don't have to earn this righteousness. It is a gift. But Jesus says, we are still to hunger and thirst for it. And yes, we are filled. Yes, we are filled with the righteousness that comes from the outside. But if we are to continue in the rest of the sermon, in the rest of his teaching, I don't think we can just relax and lower our standards. We are to have high standards of Jesus. I love the way Dallas Willard, both a philosophy uh, professor ordained pastor and one of the great teachers on uh, spiritual formation says this, grace is not opposed to effort, it is opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude, effort is an action. Earning is an attitude, effort is an action. So as we're pursuing the high standards of Jesus... What is our attitude? What is our posture? Let me take you to the next beatitude. Verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Where are my high grace people, high mercy people? That's your go-to. I know you're out there. Anybody live in a household where there's different perspectives? Maybe it's just mine. I don't know. We see, God seems, to, in his sense of humor, I think puts people together sometimes that tend to, at the very best, complement one another in that. What is mercy? Mercy is compassion for people in need. Mercy is the relief, the help, the healing from pain, mercy, or, or pain and the misery, really, of sin. Grace is that which pardons us, which deals directly with sin, but mercy is that, is that compassion for those who are suffering from that. You know, I, I don't know if the kids play it anymore. Remember the old game of mercy, right? I remember working construction as, as a kid, and it's back when I might have been strong, but I'm, I'm, I'm just, play, this, this old guy that I'm working with, he says, Jason, let's play mercy, and I gave it all I could, and he just laughed at me just twisted my hands and I'm mercy because it relieves you from pain mercy is I cannot take the pain anymore I have to tap out I can't take it anymore grace is the pardon for sin and guilt itself mercy is that help that healing from that pain now 
Jesus says this, Hebrews 2.17, for this reason, he, Jesus, actually writer of Hebrews, talking about Jesus, for this reason, he, Jesus, had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Jesus, as he became man, became fully human in every way in order that he might become merciful. Now, Jesus didn't sin. Jesus was without sin. And yet, there's a sense in which he is able to empathize with us. He is able to be merciful towards us. There's something about having a posture, having an attitude of mercy that produces empathy, that produces empathy in us. And I want to add to our pursuit, and let's say it this way, we are to pursue the high standards of Jesus with the humble posture of one forgiven by Jesus. I want you to let that statement sink in for a minute. Pursue the high standards of Jesus Hunger and thirst for righteousness with the humble of posture, with the humble posture of one forgiven by Jesus. Because when I see myself clearly, we talked about that with the meek, when I see myself as I really am, I understand what God has, the mercy that he has shown me. Now, high standards of Jesus, humble posture, sometimes they collide. And sometimes that's where our complication comes into play. It happens in parenting. What do I do with this kid? Do I ground him forever? I can't do that. Do I take his bed away? Actually, I had a student, my teaching days, that was his punishment. Mr. Gallman, you, you got to get me back in good graces with my parents. They took my bed away. <laughs> but how do those two work together? You feel that. You've been in situations. How, how do I get the, the humble posture, the attitude, and still pursue the high standards? What, is that, what does that actually look like? Well, I've looked for it, but there's no manual in the back of the Bible. There's no index that gives you the exact situation and says, here's the exact formula for you to follow to administer both the exact amount of high standards and the exact amount of a humble posture. But God has even something better than that for us. Let's go to the third one. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Matthew 5, 8. So what's your heart? It's not just your touchy-feely emotions. It's, it's the very core of who you are. It's the seed of your emotions, and it's your thinking, and it's your will. For the ancients, it's all centered there. Pure in heart. What does pure mean? A hundred percent. 
Not 90, not 80, not 95. Pure in heart. To be pure is to be of one substance. Think of pure gold, pure silver. One motivation, a single-mindedness. No complexity of mixed motives. When I hear those words, I am undone. I think that's an impossible standard. I don't know that I've ever done anything with 100% pure motives, with no thought of what might come back to me. So our temptation is when we... When we hear this teaching, our temptation may be to say, I can't do that. Just throw in the towel. I love the old Bible scholar, David Martin Martin Lloyd-Jones says this in his commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. He says, the fact that I know I cannot ultimately purify and cleanse my heart in an absolute sense. Fancy way of saying what I just said does not mean that I should walk in the gutters of life waiting for God to cleanse me. Even though I can't be 100%, that doesn't mean I just walk in the gutters of life waiting for God to zap me. But there's a promise here. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. There's a movement here, I believe, in the text. There's a movement that says, as I work on my heart, as my heart gets cleansed, I can see more and more of God. This is how, this is how Paul prayed. I want to take you to Ephesians 3, 14. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power <clears throat> through his Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Paul doesn't pray, remove the complication. So much of the time when I have complicated things, I want to say, Jesus, take the complication away. Are you with me? That's not how he prays. Give them something. Give them something in their heart. Deep down, may Christ dwell in their hearts. So let's put this all together. You put these three Beatitudes together, and I want this to impress upon your mind and heart, to pursue the high standards of Jesus with the humble posture and the heart-level presence of one forgiven and loved by Jesus. Presence with one S, I believe. But I want you to see how those three work together. High standards, humble posture, heart level, presence. Can you just take that and apply it this week? I could say amen, but I'm going to do this. We're going to go into the discipleship lab for a moment. How about that?
Let me just say, I've, I've, I've been following a lot of you around, talking with you the last couple of weeks, and I'm really proud of you. I am real, I, I can count on like five, six interactions I've had with folks that are living some of this stuff out beautifully. I think back to going to workshops and clinics and all that, and sometimes they'll show film. They'll show like live film. Like this is, this is what it looks like. So I'm going to share some clinic film with you today of our people. I'm changing names to protect the innocent here. I'm not going to use any names, so don't worry. Some of you are like, oh, good night. He's going to share that. No, I'm not going to do that. But uh, a friend of mine in my, my small group uh, just happened to have a situation with a difficult neighbor. Like, really difficult. Like, separate the kids, tears, really hard stuff. Like, Objectively, I don't know the other side of the story, but just from what I can tell, it seems like there's something just not right going on with, you know, this family moved in and, and the, the neighbors were already there and, and I don't know if they just didn't like whatever, but tough, tough situation. And the immediate response is, I want justice. Justice should be meted out because this neighbor has treated my kids, my wife unfairly. Can you feel that blood pressure go up a little bit, maybe? So as we came into small group, you know, part of the early discussion was, wow, boy, I'd really like to do this to that neighbor. I can think of some ways that might not be so Jesus-y in how I respond. But then we talked, and we talked, and I just listened. And then... Something happened, and there was a situation, and, um, you know, I, I think it began with this high standards, and God, what do you want me to do here? But over the next couple days, I believe that humble posture and that presence with Jesus came out. And I want to I read you the text I got last night. Well, I took the kids with me. And got the neighbors an ice cream gift card. And knocked on the door to apologize for invading their space when we moved in. Now, what did it take inside that person's heart to get there? That's not easy, friends. It's easy to be inside these walls and talk about this stuff, but to live it out with your kids are hurt, your wife, that, that's not easy. The mom apologized too and said she didn't mean it to come across that way. She doesn't want to have any problems between our homes. God is good. That's a cool story. That's, that's discipleship in action. That, that's living out these values in a way. Now, as you and I all know, that doesn't always end the story. <laughs> I don't want to wave any flags yet, but I, I believe that's a that's a small victory of the kingdom coming about. Now, I could tell lots of stories. I could tell stories of fight, people fighting just stuff physically and working through hard stuff in their marriages and not giving up and, and running into the conflict in a way that is with the eyes of Jesus. And it's good. 
I want to give you a, a couple concrete things to do, though, as you leave. I want to take you to Philippians 1, 9 through 11, another one of Paul's prayer that will set the stage for a couple con- concrete things. He says, uh, this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may what? Discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes from where? Through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. That's a prayer to have on your heart. That's a prayer that I want us praying. Now, I believe we have a problem. And I don't think our problem is always we don't have enough information. Our problem, my problem, can be with discernment and wisdom is how do I actually apply it? How do I actually live it out? Because sometimes in, my, in, in the pursuit of my kingdom, I get really distracted and I get depleted and I just kind of stay shallow and I don't get that root in deep of the very presence of God. Because I'm telling you, to, to really live a life pursuing the high standards of Jesus with a humble posture, friends, you can't do that on your own. You cannot do that on your own. You're going to end up either really judgmental and really hypocritical or just everything goes. But we need God's presence in that. So let me give you three like really simple, quick things you can do this week to get more of God's presence in a real way in your life. Just three quick things. First of all, Schedule your first and last thoughts of the day to be with Jesus. Can you do that? Commit to it. Say, my, when I wake up in the morning, I'm not checking my email. I'm not checking Facebook. I'm not trying to beat my spouse to get the world done for the day. But my first thought is on Jesus. Where's Jesus? He's seated at the right hand of God. And he is near me. I've got a prayer card for you today that'll that'll give you a concrete tool to do that if you want. But first thought of the day, can you schedule that? Can you commit to it? Say, I'm going to start my day this way. And then I'm going to end my day thinking about the love of Jesus. Lots of ways you can do that. If you need help, I can be even more concrete with you on that. Second one, set a mid-morning and a mid-afternoon pause reminder on your phone to spend just three minutes with Jesus. This isn't like laundry list of all your prayer, that's, that's great, but I mean like three minutes to just meditate on God's Word and focus on the love of Jesus. Now my wife's a labor and delivery nurse, she'd say good luck with that. She gets all her time in her. But, but you, most of us can figure out a way to do three minutes. Does everybody have three minutes in their mid-morning or afternoon where you could probably make that happen? What does that do? That resets me a little bit. And then finally, put your phone away for the last three hours of your evening. We're going to look back on this day and age and time that we're in, and we're going to say, these phones are killing us. They're killing us. They're killing our kids. 
I heard somebody say it's going to be like looking back in, you know, back in the day when you had uh, pregnant women smoking, you know, and you, you didn't think, we're, we're going to look back on the, what we allow with kids and phones and all that, we're going to look at it probably the same way. It's another message for another day, but I'm saying, can we put, take three hours, take a couple hours in the evening, say, just get rid of this thing for a minute, so all the things that are coming upon me, I can set that aside. Would you take those steps? Would you consider doing that today? Imagine what God can do if you give him a little more space in your heart. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning, and we come in gratitude. We come thankful for your word, thankful for the promise that you're present with us. And ask now that your spirit would help each one of us to take the step that you want us to take. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.